Hello there. Going through a divorce? Considering one? Sorry to hear that. But here you are. Welcome to Splitsville. You'll find Splitsville to be a pretty unique place. A new world, really, with its own rules, its own expectations, and in many ways, its own language. But don't worry. You have a knowledgeable guide along the way. A family law attorney with three decades of experience under her belt. And now, here she is. Your host and guide, Lee Sellers. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Welcome to Splitsville. I'm your host and guide, Lee Sellers, founder of Touchstone Family Law. And in this episode, I'll be answering another question that many newcomers to Splitsville have Am I legally married? So let's dive in. When you're coming to to talk to an attorney that specializes in divorce, uh, most of the time you know you're married or not. But sometimes people come in and they really are questioning that for a couple of reasons. And the the general rule is that people will come in and say, um, can I get an annulment? Or they'll ask a question, I think I'm common law married. Is this a common law marriage? And those are two types of situations that are they're very different. In an annulment, you're basically seeking to have what you believe to have been a legal marriage declared void or have someone determine that it was not a legally acceptable marriage to begin with. So at some point, there was at least an intention on the part of one party to actually go through a marriage ceremony. There was some officiating person who declared you to be married. And people are trying to find out, is there a way just to undo that? Kind of, you know, travel back in time and I didn't really do this. When people are talking about common law marriage, they're basically asking whether or not they have acted in such a way that the state is going to consider them married, even though they definitely did not go through any ceremony. They didn't have any officiating person declare them to be married. They've just behaved in a certain way, uh, and they're wondering if that's going to be enough to create a marriage and therefore give them all of the rights and opportunities that married people have, you know, especially if they've been living together. So those are things that are a little bit outside the norm. We don't, it's not a, a ton of people that find themselves in that situation, but but enough to where I think it it's important to look at what, what an annulment is and what an annulment is not. Some of the reasons that people will come in and ask for an annulment is they'll come in and they're under this perception that they haven't been married long enough that if it's just been a really short time, that they somehow can annul it and they don't have to go through a divorce. And that particularly happens in North Carolina where it's a one-year wait because if they have determined two months into their marriage, this was not the right thing to do, then sometimes they think, oh, well, why would I wait a full year to get unmarried when I know now that I don't want to be married? And, And there's a lot of people that think that, oh, okay, it's been less than a year, so we can get it annulled. And, and that's not not at all true. I'm not sure where anyone finds that exact data, but people do come in with that one-year mark quite a bit. But there are certain marriages that you just can have declared void by the court if you apply. And what you're doing is you're basically getting a court to say that the marriage was never valid to begin with. So it just completely erases it. And some of the ones that I think people are familiar with would be bigamy. So when you get married, if your spouse is still living, then 
it's wrong. It's it's a void marriage and your second marriage does not count. And I think everyone's seen at least shows on crime TV or, you know, one of the channels where you've got people that have spouses in various states and um, have been playing some wild game. But where we see it happen is people think they were divorced, but they just weren't. Um, They expected the other person to do it. They think the other person filed. And lo and behold, they're getting ready to go through their second divorce. And we start asking for, you know, when did you get divorced the first time? And somebody goes, well, I'm not really sure. My wife handled, my ex-wife handled it. We start looking and we can't find a record in any state or county in the country that records that that these people ever got divorced. And so somebody skipped town, left it in the hands of the other spouse, and the other spouse was just like, I don't care. So that's a real problem because you really can't prove you were divorced, which means your second marriage is not good. So bigamous marriages are void. And we'll talk about why that may be important to people later, but that one I think is pretty familiar. If you cannot consent to marriage, it is void. So if you're not a person who has capacity to consent, so think about somebody who's mentally incapacitated, has a a serious mental illness or has had some sort of an injury and is brain damaged, and somebody purports to have married them, then you're often going to have interested parties come in and say, wait a second, this person can't possibly have consented to marriage. They don't have the capacity to consent to marriage. And so often... We will find, you know, unscrupulous people who have perhaps taken advantage of someone um, who doesn't quite have um, the capacity necessary to consent to contracts or other important legally binding agreements. And marriage is a legally binding agreement. And, and we will be looking to annul the marriage based on lack of, of consent. Sometimes it's simply lack of having what they call proper solemnization. And basically that is somebody who doesn't have a proper official officiate their wedding. So if there's some um, minister or magistrate who is not actually an official who performs 100 ceremonies, uh, and then you find out they never had the proper credentials to to create the marriage, you know, one of two things happen. People go back and get married again and fix it, or people will use that and try to, to void the marriage to begin with. One of the what I think are the stranger ones is when you have to determine whether or not you're too close of a relative of the person. So if it's a close blood kin and you've married them, uh, you know, somebody can come in and have that annulled. I don't really see that happen too much, but there are actually, um, there is a chart in the statutes where you can decide whether or not you're too closely related to somebody to be able to have a valid marriage. So I would suggest that if you really think that you're marrying somebody that you might possibly be related to, you can always uh, look at that statute. But that's really unusual, but it is actually very heavily covered in the statute. So it must have been a bigger problem at some point because uh, they They took a lot of time to outline, you cannot marry anybody who's closer than your first cousin. I'm not quite sure who would want to marry somebody closer than their first cousin, because that's pretty close. And you can't marry a double first cousin. So, you know, I don't see it happening that much, but, you know, I'm just going to put it out there for you that if you're thinking about marrying a cousin or a sister or a mother, that's more for Shakespeare than it is for the state courts in North or South Carolina. Really, one of the the stranger categories to go through, though, in consent deals with age. And I think this is, I consider it strange because it's just very arbitrary. But there are very clear rules about what age person can agree to get married 
and what they have to go through if they're not of that certain age. So you may be pleased to know or maybe distressed to know that you cannot legally get married if you are under the age of 14. So I think most of us would be relieved to know that that would be not considered a valid legal age of marriage, but it is the statute. You must be over the age of 14. But the rules require that if a person trying to get married is over the age of 14 and under the age of 16, then they have to have judicial authorization to get married. And in most of those cases, the the basis of the judicial authorization would be that one of the parties, um, well, both of the parties have created a child. A child's either been born or the mother, um, obviously there's a, a female who's pregnant in the relationship. And so under those considerations, then there is a, a process for getting the court to judicially authorize the marriage. If a child is over the age of 16 and under the age of 18, it really is by consent of the parents or whoever the legal guardian is. Um, So if they choose to get married under the age of 18, but more than 16, there's just a group of people that if they consent to it, um, they can get married. So there's no judicial authorization. What's really interesting is if one of the parties is over 14, but under the age of 16, and the other party to the marriage is over the age of 16, but below the age of 18, you really have both going on. So for the 14 to 16-year-old, you have to get the judicial authorization. And for the 16 to 18-year-old, you have to have the consent of the appropriate party. So I know there's a lot of television shows that deal with pregnant teens. Um, I don't see so much interest in the married teens, but um, if you are a teenager who is looking to get married and you're under the age of 18, there's a lot of very specific rules and and hoops that would have to be jumped through in order for that to happen. And one of the conditions seems to be that there's there's a, um, a child involved, that somebody has created a life and the state seems to have some interest in making it easy for them to marry if if that is the circumstance. But that, you know, can be something that comes up um, for a variety of reasons for a lot of people. And we get a lot of online questions I do from children about those issues. So most of the inquiries that I get about, can I get married? Can I leave my house? Can I be emancipated? Generally, our teens reaching out on web forums, legal forums, where you can ask an attorney anonymously questions. And so I do think it's appropriate to go ahead and cover that because I have been surprised how many under 18-year-old children um, are reaching out looking for lawyers to answer that question. So I guess parents beware and um, teenagers, uh, now you're you're a little bit better informed that you're probably going to need somebody's uh, permission, whether it's your parents or a judge. One of the other issues that you can see is impotency. Now, the inability to have sex has to be present at the time that you get married in order for it to be a ground for annulment. So it can't be a reason to get an annulment after the fact. So you've got to be able to prove that at the time you married, one or both of you had an inability to actually have sex. It's not the ability to bear children or create children. It's the inability to have sex. And I would say in 2019, we're not finding that to be a surprise so much. So I don't see 
anybody coming in that's saying, I got married and, and on my wedding night, we, you know, found out one or, or the other was, was impotent. I don't see it as much. I'm not saying that you don't see it at all. But normally what happens is somebody comes and they're thinking they can annul the marriage because there's been a medical issue or a, a trauma or some sort of injury or something that has happened after the fact that has created an inability on the part of their spouse to have um, sexual relations. And so they're looking to annul the marriage rather than go through a divorce, mostly because of the one-year waiting period, to be honest. Um, If it's something that's happened pretty far into the marriage, they're just looking for a way around that one-year waiting period. Because normally, if that sort of an issue has been going on in a marriage, it's been my experience that when somebody comes in and this is the particular issue, it has been pretty longstanding. So it's not like, oh, last week this happened, so now I want to annul the marriage. So we don't see it that much. But the problem is anytime you're dealing with an annulment, the problem had to exist at the time you entered into the marriage with somebody. It can't be something that's happened after the fact. A false representation of pregnancy is a reason to get an annulment. So if you get married and you can prove that it was only because you were led to believe that somebody was pregnant and carrying your child, and then you were to find out after you got married that they were not at all pregnant and were not bearing your child, then you can apply for an annulment um, because there was a false representation of pregnancy. If you can prove fraud... That's one of the more interesting ones. We don't see a whole lot of of case law on it. It's very fact specific. So if you can somehow establish that the entire marriage was entered into by fraud um, and that there was no real intent to get married, then you can get it annulled. And that is literally uh, factual. Um, There's not... I really would have to know the facts and circumstances of it. I do know that there was... Um, literally a case where we were able to get the case, um, the marriage annulled on fraud when it was an arranged marriage and the dowry was paid and the bride and groom had the ceremony. And then at the celebration after it, the groom crawled out the window and disappeared. So we had pretty good proof that there was no intent to actually be married to this woman. It was an intent to defraud the family out of money. And so this person disappeared and never to be heard of from again. And we were able to pretty well establish that it was a fraudulent um, inducement for her to go through the marriage ceremony under the belief that this person would be her spouse when in reality they they simply wanted the money. That's been one of the more clear ones um, that I've seen with fraud. But there were, you know, there have been a few others. So if you really think that you've been defrauded into marrying somebody, that would typically be something you would probably find out pretty quickly after you were married. But you can go see an attorney about whether or not it's going to be grounds for um, annulment. Now, you might say, why? You know, what would be the point? Um, And that's really one of the first questions I ask people is, why would you do an annulment versus a divorce if it's we're unsure? For some people, it's the waiting period, they say. But once you file an action for an annulment, there's going to take, it's going to take a considerable amount of time to get it in front of a judge and have that decided. So you're not necessarily going to get 
your annulment faster than you could get your divorce um, because it's all going to depend on how quickly the case moves through the court. Also, it's also just evidence. You know, are you going to be able to prove these things? You may believe them wholeheartedly to be true and they may be, but you have to have very convincing proof to get a judge to believe that you're going to get an, an annulment. So why would you go through that when it's very easy to prove people have lived apart for 12 months? That's that's not real difficult to prove. But one of the things to just remember is if you're not married, then you're not entitled to any of the um, benefits of, of divorce in terms of there is no property distribution if there was no marriage. So if, you're, if your marriage is found to be void or annulled, then there is no, re, you don't share property with a spouse. There is no right to alimony. So there are some financial incentives for people to pursue this um, in many times. But what it won't do is it won't make a child illegitimate so even if a marriage is annulled, if there was a child born of it, that child is still considered a legitimate child of both of those parents. And it's not going to get rid of your child support obligations because your child support obligation has nothing to do with whether or not you were married um, to the person who, who had the child. So really the, the two things that it really would be most important to uh, pursue this if it was actually a legitimate um, concern would be alimony um, and property rights. But in terms of speed, I wouldn't think that would be enough reason. There are religious reasons for people to not have been married before, and they want to very clearly have been not married before for religious reasons or divorce is not um, allowed in their religion. So they either need to get an annulment or nothing um, because they're just not going to be allowed to have a divorce. So there are some religious considerations as well. So while it's a little bit uncommon and it's not something I do every day in my practice, it is a, a thriving area of law and it could be applicable you know, to you or to many other listeners. One thing, another thing to remember is, is that if you're never married, then that's also going to void certain estate rights, certain inheritance rights. You're not going to be able to um, take under somebody's will as their spouse if you never were their spouse. And so sometimes you may see these marriages being challenged by third parties. The bigamist marriages often um, sometimes pop up after somebody's died. And there are special rules about when and when you can actually raise this claim and who can raise this claim and what the proper jurisdiction to raise these claims is. So you definitely would need to talk to an attorney about it. It's not really a do-it-yourself type matter, but um, it can have some really devastating effects. So if somebody's talking annulment or you get served with some papers, you want to take it pretty seriously um, because it could really um, impact your rights later on. The other question that people have about whether or not they're legally married is when they assume that they have a common law marriage. North Carolina does not recognize common law marriage. There is no such thing as common law marriage in the state of North Carolina. In North Carolina, to be married, you have to have a ceremony with an officiator who declares you to be married. So there is no way around that. However, I practice in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is on the border of South Carolina. South Carolina is one of the states that does still recognize common law marriage. Now, the issue with there's in the Constitution, the full faith and credit clause does require states to recognize the valid marriages of other states. So if you get married in Utah 
and you have fully conformed with all of the state requirements there, and then you move to Nebraska, Nebraska should recognize your marriage. And if it's appropriate, go through your divorce and treat you as a married person. So for that reason, if you're in North Carolina and you come from a state and you can prove that there was a valid common law marriage in that state, then they will treat you as married. You just can't originate a common law marriage in North Carolina. And whenever you're in the court system, they have to use the common law marriage laws and regulations and statutes to determine whether or not it was a common law marriage. So if you're in North Carolina and you're trying to say you have a common law marriage, from example, South Carolina, North Carolina is going to apply South Carolina law to determine whether or not you really were common law married. So let's talk about it if you're in South Carolina. And again, just because it's a bordering state. So one of the misperceptions is that people think there's a fixed amount of time. Um, Regardless of what it is, they'll say, well, I've lived with this person for seven years, or I've lived with this person for five years, or I've lived with this person for 10. So we're common law married. That is not true at all. In South Carolina, there is no fixed time to establish a common law marriage. But what it is, that it is a marriage that doesn't have a license and there was no official ceremony But you have an informal but a mutually understood agreement by both parties to be married. And you have to have had the capacity to be married. So these two people that have mutually agreed that they're going to be married, but without a ceremony, they had to have had the ability to have actually gone and had a ceremony and be married. So you still have that capacity. And then you have to have publicly represented yourself as being married. So you have to have held yourself out. Um, There's people that filed tax returns married um, who introduced themselves to people as this is my spouse, this is my wife, this is my husband, who go by Mr. and Mrs. Uh, But there has to be some sort of holding out that you are married. And you have to have evidence that there was this mutual understanding or agreement by both parties to be be married. There was actually a pretty public case in New York that was based on William Hurt when he was in South Carolina filming The Big Chill. Uh, There was a woman that he lived with while he was in South Carolina who later sued him and tried to establish that they had created a common law marriage in South Carolina. That case was not decided by the New York courts in her favor. And one of the the flaws in her case was that there were so many people who were aware that they were just living together. And these days, I think that's probably the biggest problem. Um, Social mores have changed so much that the stigma of living together outside of the institution of marriage is just so far reduced that people are very open about the fact that they're living together. They're living with their boyfriend or they're living with their girlfriend. They're living with their partner. And so they don't go out of their way to try to make it a marriage because that's not really what either of them are intending at that time. They're married. They're not introducing each other as spouses and there is no holding out. So what we have is an agreement to live together and maybe a monogamous relationship. And you have so you have co-epitation and you have capacity, but you don't actually have a marriage um, because they actually intentionally avoided getting married for one reason or another. And normally they're pretty vocal about it. So it's not as common as you might think simply because people are not going out of their way to pretend 
that they've gone through a marriage ceremony. There are some people who who do really just want to be married and don't feel like there needs to be any state involvement or any religious involvement. And so they simply live thinking, you know, whatever, jump, jump the broom or whatever, but that the end, that they're wanting to have this relationship. And in their mind, it is every bit as much of a marriage as somebody who pays a license fee or has someone come and officiate a ceremony. And so there are people who are deliberately choosing to create a marriage outside of any regulatory or statutory creation and certainly outside of any religious organizations, mores. And so those people are very clear about they are, they are married and they don't make any um, distinction about it to anybody. So it definitely is still alive and well. Um, the question is whether or not um, people are choosing to live that way in states that actually are going to recognize that as a marriage. So if you are living with somebody and you think you're married and you think you have the same protections, you do need to be um, careful and make sure that as you're moving around um, that you're going to be protected because there is a way to actually have your common law marriage recorded in South Carolina. So if you want to somehow record it to where it's clear that you're married, you can actually record your common law marriage. There's a statutory procedure for that. But I just think it's one of those areas where people want to avail themselves of the divorce laws when their relationship where they've been cohabiting with somebody goes south, but they didn't really want to avail themselves of the marriage laws when they were living with them. And unfortunately, the two go hand in hand. So if you choose the institution of marriage, you're kind of stuck with the laws of divorce. But if you choose not to be married because you have a problem with it, then you're not going to be able to avail yourselves um, of the um, laws of divorce, for example, about getting property divided or getting spousal support or alimony. So there are important links to to those choices about what the what the outcomes are going to be if people break up. But we'll talk about cohabitation agreements in another episode. But whether or not your marriage is legal, you're you're pretty lucky if you've gone through the ceremony and you have the license and you applied. It, it's pretty straightforward. But for anybody who's not really sure, you just need to speak to an attorney who's an expert in this matter, and they can go through the facts of your particular situation because it is very fact-specific. So there you have it, another neighborhood of Splitsville explored. There's still so much to learn here, so I hope you'll tune in to the next episode. While Splitsville is not a fun place to be, thankfully it is full of helpful people, valuable resources, and sound advice if you know where to look. See you next time. The insights and views presented in Welcome to Splitsville are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. Nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. If you're ready for compassionate and reliable legal guidance on your journey, contact Lee Sellers and her team at www.touchstonefamilylaw.com.